Welcome to episode number 69, Lessons in Bias and Stigma. I'm your host, Damon Soka, and today we're going to discuss the bias that we deal with and what should be your considerations for telling another person or persons about your illness. Now, by the way, if you are enjoying these episodes, pass them along to someone else who also might enjoy them. Anyone who has ever dealt with mental illness and has opened up about their illness likely understands the biased culture surrounding mental illness and how difficult it can be to be honest and open about their struggles. We live in a world that doesn't want to know or understand that our emotional and balanced mental states can and are affected by body chemistry, traumatic experience, and even what we put into our bodies. This is especially true within the church culture, where spirit over body and mind over matter seem to be the mantra. Now, there is nothing wrong with learning to master the mortal body and mind. Even the Lord desires to do our best to work out our own salvation through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Many parts of our behavior we can modify and then allow the Lord to make that change of heart. However, there is danger in turning a blind eye to the realities of the mortal body and fully believing that the mind and emotional chemistry are totally under one's spiritual domination or control. A union exists between the spirit and the body, and at times the body will have weaknesses that may have to be endured rather than overcome. To say that depression, anxiety, bipolar, and everything in between is simply poor emotional management or derelict parenting is showing a desperate ignorance that speaks of fear and unwillingness to understand the workings of the body and our own spirit. Now, I can understand that to admit that one's emotional stability is based in part upon a semi-fragile balance of complex chemistry in the mind is frightening to almost everyone. To think that one traumatic event or slight imbalance of emotional chemistry might control and change one's entire perspective, reality, and outlook on life even to the point of suicide, gives an uneasy certainty to life's experience. Yet, that is what we face with our mental illness. We face a public that has never experienced what we have, and friends and family that do their best to understand, but truly never will. Now, while we have been given an opportunity to experience life in whole new ways, maybe not in ways we necessarily would like to see it, it is often difficult living around so many who simply cannot and do not understand the experience, and they simply could not unless they were able to feel what we feel and desire what we desire, or in some cases don't desire. There always exists a question then as to how much do we divulge to those living around us who might do their best to understand but truly never will. How do we tell and and when, and does it even make sense to talk about it sometimes? How much help am I really providing myself or others who suffer when I discuss my experiences? Now, there exist a multitude of questions when it comes to talking to our friends and acquaintances. And there are several considerations for both ourselves and for our friends and acquaintances, and even for the world of us who often suffer in silence. The first problem we most often face is false advertising and incorrect portrayals of mental illness in the media. What most people know of mental illness, they will see only incidentally on television 
movies or books and other media. It will often be no more than really a glancing blow of more extreme moments of pronounced mental illness. Most often, these more extreme examples are what sticks to the mind. And then, of course, limited incidental information by the media causes gaps in the full picture for our friends and family. And those gaps are just filled in with what the person already knows and has seen or experienced. What most individuals consume in the media, experience in life, and learn from others is skewed in different twisted directions. So the first problem we really face when we are going to talk to somebody is an uphill battle against the propaganda that only shows the extremes of our illness and nothing in between. We then are the drug addict, crazy and uncontrollable, needing hospitalization, suicidal, lost souls, violent, and everything that for the most part we are not. Certainly issues arise at the extremes of the illness. And yes, there are a few people who are ill that need hospitalization and serious attention for suicidal issues, and I am not diminishing that part of the illness. However, for the most part, those of us who suffer are really hidden among the masses, never really discussing what we experience. We treat our illness, endure our episodes, and do our best to blend into the normal day-to-day functioning life of mortality. Now, on more than one occasion, when I have told someone that I had bipolar and continue to have some mild depression, they look at me as though they didn't quite understand what I just told them. It was as if they were saying, are you telling me that someone with mental illness can look normal and blend into society just like everyone else? They often seem shocked that they didn't somehow see it in me as if I were going to hang a sign around my neck or a tattoo on my forehead. That has always been our first problem uh, with mental illness, and that's social bias and the media propaganda. How do you even begin to change the picture when the extremes of the illness make for just juicier content in the media? How do you show mental illness as a normal person walking down the street, working at a career, raising a family, and really being outwardly fairly normal and boring. That isn't a picture that sells books, movies, magazines, and cover stories. You need a celebrity who's gone off the rails and is entering rehab to overcome addictions that were caused by their bipolar tendencies. I think that social bias is a fact that we're going to have to accept when dealing with mental illness. That bias is skewed to mental illness extremes, and it is well taught in the media. It is unlikely that my boring... Normal outward life is going to change that reality. So we must educate as best we can, but understand that the bias is probably always going to exist. But as we interact with our family and our friends, we can begin to change that bias in them a little at a time. However, expect that because of the bias, you might get some strange reactions and interactions that will frustrate and even upset you. Often when people have come to understand that I suffer, they immediately think that my, cap- my capacities and capabilities are diminished, that I can't do anything difficult or it might set me off. Now, this is especially true within the church. On more than one occasion, I know that I have probably been asked, not been asked to do something or teach because of my illness. Now, I don't believe that anyone does this on purpose or has any kind of evil intent. I actually believe that they truly have a good intent and believe what they are doing is a good thing. 
One thing about the church that I do love is that leaders and its members are often concerned and compassionate about, un- compassionate about another's needs. They may not always act appropriately based on the realities of the need or the illness, but they do what they feel is best. I do not fault them in any way for attempting to show compassion and understanding. However, mental illness does not mean that we are incapable of serving, leading, loving, teaching, or really anything in the doing anything in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, there may be days that are difficult, and we might have to pass some responsibilities on to another leader or counselor, but the reality is that for the most part we can serve, lead, love, and teach like anyone else. When it comes to feeling the Spirit during serious episodes, we often face greater difficulties when we need to hear the voice of the Lord. The one thing that I have learned is that the Lord fully understands our illness, and more often than not, He gives us what we need when we are asked to do do something in the church, and He often gives it when we need it. This doesn't mean that we won't struggle at times, but the truth is, is that everybody struggles at times. It may not be because of a mental illness, but we all struggle to feel and keep the spirit when mortal Babylon surrounds us. It's just part of the mortality we accepted and the time frame on this earth where we have been asked to serve. So yes, we have weaknesses that others may not, but the Lord is generous with his grace and can help us serve when we need to and even feel compassion, love, and understanding when our hearts are deeply depressed and feeling quite lost. Now, within the traditions of the church, mental illness has not been very well understood. I think for a couple of reasons. One, I think that the illness is fairly new to science and to the world at large. And two, because of our emphasis on a change of desire, change of heart, change of nature, there is a tendency to believe that the Lord would not necessarily allow something as, such as mental illness to exist. I admit that it is a little problematic to the doctrine of a change of heart, change of nature, when one believes that some of that desire and heart and intent is wrapped up in the body's chemistry and mortal mentality. To believe that the chemistry of the body controls part of the spirit's reality, desire, emotional context, and emotional intent does not bode well with a pure doctrine that all intent is motivated by our nature and our spiritual desire. However, this is simply a tradition gone too far in doctrinal intent. Anyone who has ever been frightened suddenly and felt that rush of adrenaline understands that the body has a keen ability to control the spirit at times. Emotions and intent can come both from the body and the spirit. And mental illness is simply the body's chemistry of emotional intent gone a little askew. Even when we are depressed, I have found that the spirit still speaks, our spirit still speaks to us and still has some say in our actions, although not as loudly as we would normally hear it. However, that balance between the spirit and the body can sometimes get very isolated, where the body becomes the more dominant force. And this does lead to the extremes of the disease, such as what we often hear about suicide and drug addictions. For those in the gospel trying so hard to control their passions, emotions, thoughts, and feelings, it can be defeating to understand that the body has strong chemistry that can weigh heavily on the best of spiritual intentions and nature. 
Now, I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience where our bodies have full control and our spirit just watches. What I'm talking about is a consistent negative influence over the spirit, our own spirits, brought about by the chemistry of the body that wears on spiritual fortitude and has serious impacts upon the mind and the reality that makes up our existence. Now, for instance, during my bipolar cycles, I could go from believing quite strongly in the Savior and in the atonement of Jesus Christ to my, in my depressions to almost no belief at all when those depressions were intense. The negative presence of the illness and the chemistry is so strong that my reality became one of doubt and an inability to have those positive spiritual experiences and feelings. Now, to say that someone can simply happy themselves out of a depression is not to have any understanding of the body, the mind, and the chemistry that is involved. As an example, just as an example of this mental chemistry, even outside of mental illness, most individuals have undergone some type of dental surgery or have seen it where they are given some anesthesia to deaden the experience and the pain. There are more than enough videos on YouTube and on the internet of these people under the effects of that medication saying very strange things and seeing reality in a whole new light. Now, while depression and anxiety bipolar do not come by exterior medications, the in inner chemistry of the body is just as powerful as that anesthesia, and often, I would say, more powerful, and can change our realities just as much as any medication. So the real question for those of us who do suffer is who do we tell? What should we tell them? How should we even approach it? Now, of course, and when, of course. Now, of course, I have my own thoughts on when and where, and I'm going to include them here. But you should consider the questions for yourself and understand the purpose and design of divulging something as private as your mental health. The first question, and probably the most important, is why? Why are you telling this person? Are they going to be helpful to you? Are they a close associate? They're going to help with your treatment. Are you helping them to understand an episode that they've seen or your different states of emotional context and mood? You should fully understand the why before you begin talking about your mental illness. Until you know the why and that why makes sense to you, I would avoid telling someone of your struggles. Now, I always have a why. Now, I am more open than most people about my illness. I do this with the intent to educate and eventually help others down the road. But that may not be your desire. If not, then maybe your why is simply to help those closest to you understand your various moods and emotions they are seeing in you outwardly. Make sure that you really understand the why. To understand the consequences, you are not likely going to be able to choose them. The first of these is social, social ostracization. There shouldn't be any consequences socially, but there are going to be. Some people will not know how to understand or even interact with you once they know, even though they may have interacted with you before. This isn't necessarily right, but it is part of the bias, social bias, and you need to understand it ahead of time. The best thing to do about this consequence is to re-educate people about your illness. Help them to see that you are no different than before. This may actually take some research on your part to be able to explain it in ways that make sense to others and in a manner that will allay their feelings and misconceptions. 
incapable. People are going to think that you can't do certain things or handle certain situations. They may even think that you need, they need to watch you for signs of suicide or drug abuse. I just understand this bias and help them to see that most mental illnesses are not like that. And even those that are only have those issues at the extremes of the illness. Strange questions under this, uh, understand the consequences. Be prepared to answer strange questions and concerns. What people learn in the media is often just pieces of information that they mold together in their mind. And more often than not, what they believe is not accurate. This is going to cause a variety of strange questions. Also, be prepared for them to be dumbfounded when you talk. Information leak. Understand that this is number three, information leak. Understand that you are generally not telling just one person when you tell someone, unless you know them to be fully trustworthy in the sense of keeping that type of information secret. That type of information, especially health information, is something that seems to travel fast among social groups, and that really includes church members. Just understand that telling one person may not be telling one person, and understand how that might impact you. Number four, educating people. You should be able to fully explain your illness to someone. Now, don't just explain what illness you have. Explain what capacities you might have or not have. Explain your particular set of symptoms and even what you are doing to manage those symptoms. Often, the more information you can give, the better. It will help them to see the illness in a far better light and help to re-educate them against what they might have seen in the media and what they might see in you. Also note that every person is different with mental illness, that none of us are alike, so let them know that you don't represent every mentally ill person. Some people will be more capable, some less, depending upon the illness and severity and even time frames. Explain the illness medically and spiritually. Let them understand what they are likely to see in your outward actions and let them know where you struggle and where you don't. What you do, what to, what you want to do is to paint a complete picture of the illness, yourself and of others who have the illness. What I am saying is that you often need to educate people on what the illness is truly like and what it entails for them, not just you. Think of what the person might need, might need not only to help you, but to help others who suffer and what they might need to know. For the most part, we are not going to need help just understanding when the symptoms become intense. Number five, one time is not enough. If you're going to tell someone, you're likely going to have to continue to educate them. Understand that education is about repetition and demonstrating effectively what you've taught. It's going to take some time for someone to see you for who you are. And there are going to be awkward moments and strange silences. Be open and honest is the best answer I can give you. Number six, now this is very important. You do not have to tell them everything about your illness. Most people who do not suffer with the big three, depression, anxiety, and bipolar, do not understand suicidal feelings that come with the illnesses. We understand it, those of us who suffer far better, just far better, because we have had some bad moments. It doesn't mean that we're going to end our lives. But understand that leaving the suicidal discussions to only a very few is probably the best. 
You do need to talk about those feelings, but it should be limited to only a couple of people who are really helping you with the treatment of the illness. You do not need to tell them all of your personal struggles and strifes with the illness. For most people, the basic discussion found on most websites is going to be sufficient. Now, I found that most people do not and really can't even understand most of those deeply personal struggles. I would also leave those personal moments to a more close inner circle. What is best for most people to understand is that the illness is, is not like it is advertised in the media and understand really the basic true facts about the illness. You can always add a personal touch to the discussion, but that will depend upon the audience. Now, if you're going to be fairly open about everything such as I have been in these podcasts, understand that people are going to treat you differently. Beyond what people see in the media, most everyone will not know anything about mental illness. It just isn't a subject most people are going to research on their own. So beyond the bias, they may even have a black hole of information. Unknowns are uncomfortable for almost everyone. And so expect that the situation might even turn a little uncomfortable. Understand, though, that the more we educate other individuals about our illness, the better off it is for everyone. Now, finally, when do you tell someone? I would recommend establishing a friendship or a relationship of some type before going right to, I have a mental illness. Having an already proven friendship can go a long ways to helping you discuss it effectively. If you are in a relationship with someone else and you are moving towards serious, you're going to need to find an appropriate time to discuss it with them and allow them to be shocked, ask questions, do their own research, and fill in the gaps. They may even seem distant for a period of time while, they're figuring, while they are figuring out what that means to the relationship. Just understand that unknowns are tough for anyone, and we all need time to adjust to new information. You will need to tell those people you are going to help with your treatment, and that includes your inner circle of families and friends. This might be best done in a more formal setting or one-on-one, -on -one, whatever feels most appropriate. Setting the stage can be helpful, but again, that's going to depend upon the personalities and their role in your treatment and really who they are. If you're having difficulties with mental illness or you think you are, you need to have someone at your side to help. This means you will need to tell someone who is likely already in your life and will be there for some foreseeable future and who is willing to help you. The best advice I can give is to understand truly the why you're doing what you're doing. Now, I tell everyone with whom I develop a friendship about my illness and my past illness. My why is to help others, and mostly to help ease concerns within the church membership. I know there are many members who feel isolated, alone, and lost because of this illness, and really want to understand the spiritual realities, and that they're not alone. And I tell you that for certain, you are not alone. There are many of us out there, hidden amongst the membership, who fight every day to keep the faith and endure the weakness that has come upon us. Well, that is all I have for today. Until next time. Until then, I hope that you continue the fight so that the Lord can do his part.